Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. There's a lot of things we can bring where we feel that, you know, payments is, is in our DNA. Payments is the base of the DNA. We're building value around the DNA on, you know, selective diversification into key areas, extending the, the uh, e-commerce payment into a shopping cart experience. That was Jonathan O'Connor, the Group Chief Commercial Officer and CEO of Trust Payments US. And this is episode 159 of the Leaders in Payments podcast. And I'm your host, Greg Myers. My guest this week has an absolutely fascinating background in the payments industry. Jonathan is still as competitive now as he was when he was in his 20s and has a driving passion for sales, competition, and of course, winning. For those of you who may not know, Trust Payments is a technology-based fintech with a presence all over Europe and a satellite office here in the U.S. Beyond serving small businesses and mid-market corporations, they specialize in emerging markets such as cryptocurrency, online gaming and gambling, and CBD. And all of this in addition to their already prolific involvement in retail, hospitality, and financial services. Tune in to hear Jonathan and I talk about the future of our industry as it relates to cryptocurrency, biometrics, artificial intelligence, and so much more. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's go ahead and dive right in, and we'll talk a little bit about your professional journey in a minute, but tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure, absolutely. So listen, as you can hear from my accent, I'm a very proud Irishman, and uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, so I've been in the States for 11 years now. I relocated here with what was called First Data at the time, which is now Fiserv, and uh, previous to that, I lived in Ireland. Uh, London, South Africa. So I've been uh, been in many places and had a I've had an amazing journey with both myself and my family. I have three kids and a dog called Bono. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, let's dive in and talk about the company now. So let's talk about Trust Payments. So tell our audience what Trust Payments does. Sure. So Trust Payments is a technology-based fintech. We have head office in the UK. And uh, we have a presence all over Europe and a satellite office in the U.S. in Atlanta, Georgia. We're uh, 450 people strong. And uh, I suppose, you know, what we're doing is we're really combining technology, financial services, and we're really embedding a new offering around software as a service and payment solutions for mid-market and SMBs, primarily in Europe. And uh, we also have a, a speciality in the emerging markets where we've kind of drilled a position for us, a leadership position in emerging markets, for example, uh, crypto, online gambling and gaming, and other emerging markets. So we kind of blend our business from traditional verticals like financial services, retail, and hospitality, and then blend that with uh, emerging markets like crypto, gaming, uh, CBD, and areas like that. Okay. And you mentioned that you focus on small business to mid-market. So can you kind of define what you mean by that? Sure. So, you know, we operate both a direct and indirect sales strategy. So as we look at the market, 
We work with partners to look at a, you know, a mid-market client, you know, under a million, I suppose, in, t- in turnover. And uh, we look for someone who, who really want to focus on their business. And payments should just be part of that experience. And we're here to let them focus on their business and create more value at the point of sale, create more value at the digital e-com experience, and create more value at the mobile experience. So I suppose those three areas are where we play at the last mile solution. Okay. And today you're in Europe and the US or, or what countries yes. do you sell in now? So today we have principal membership with Visa and MasterCard with a license in Malta and we passport that license all over Europe. In addition to that, we're in the process of completing our FCA license for the UK. And in the US, we have a BIN sponsorship agreement. In addition to that, we have a digitized e-com platform which offers one connection to both our primary acquiring solution out of Malta, our solution in the UK. We also have connections to 40 other banks around the world. And in addition to that, then we have a direct connection to all major banks in the US. So we offer a single technology platform, which gives a a merchant or a partner access to those regions. And you mentioned, just I want to make sure it's clear, so it's both a, a point-of-sale solution, an e-commerce solution, and a mobile solution, all, all as part of one platform. That's correct. In addition to that, we've driven the value chain into many other areas. For example, one of our recent acquisitions is a shopping cart experience called Store. And what we've done with Store is we've, we've extended the value chain, not only from payment now, to go into the digitized experience for an e-com merchant to allow them set up their shopping experience, enable payment. And then also we've uh, had another acquisition called Mobilize, which allows you engage in customer loyalty or merchant loyalty. In fact, we run the loyalty program for Matalan in the UK. We've extended that technology platform into a blockchain-based loyalty product. So we're, we're very excited to bring this type of technology out you know, as an agile fintech that we can drive this type of solution to market. Okay. Yeah, definitely want to dive into crypto and some other things like that in a minute. Let's finish up talking about the company. So you mentioned SaaS. So is your business model really around collecting SaaS fees or or sort of traditional transaction fees or sort of a combination of both? It's a combination of both. So the acquisition of a cloud-based, I suppose, shopping platform has allowed us move into the SaaS market where we've, you know, through our acquiring model, We've been blessed with very healthy line item revenue in addition to acquiring revenue. So our technology stack and our commercial flywheel is very strong. You know, our revenue is up 73% from 2020 at 108 million. Our our net revenue has also grown in north of 70%. And our EBITDA, in fact, has grown 105%. So, you know, very, very strong growth over the last three years. And we're investing, reinvesting all of that money back into our biggest asset, our people, and our technology platform as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with those large growth numbers during the pandemic and being focused on the the space that you're in. Sort of, can you give the backstory as to why you've been sort of so successful when when maybe others have been challenged in this space? Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, it comes down to a lot of our positioning pre the pandemic, you know, as a, I would say, you know, a reasonably smaller operator to the larger 
processors, you know, globally, we were able to uh, reposition ourselves in some of these verticals and take advantage of, you know, digitization. The digital economy jumped five years in one year during the pandemic. And what that caused was, a, you know, a lot of openings in some of these markets. If we take crypto, for example, obviously the price of Bitcoin went through the roof. But in addition to that, you know, the adoption, the take-up rate of digital currencies, both asset-backed and, and digital, was high. And it allowed the likes of trust payments gain from the knowledge that we had picked up from Malta. Malta is a very interesting uh, region. It was one of the first areas to offer regulated crypto through a FinCEN license. We were lucky to be in the on the island with these early adopters, and we got to really understand regulated crypto in that sense. And that allowed us, you know, develop our risk management. It allowed us to develop our compliance and our three lines of defense around how we could develop a customized merchant acceptance policy around crypto. And uh, that really bared fruit then during the pandemic because we were able to allow these companies grow, manage risk together, and really help them evolve the on-ramp payment experience. And recently, Working with Visa, we've now developed also the off-ramp crypto experience. So that's definitely one. Obviously, people at home locked in their houses, you know, with a laptop in front of you. Gaming and gambling obviously experienced a significant growth because, you know, maybe there may not have been a lot of sports events to gamble on, but you had your traditional poker. And we work with the likes of poker stars globally you know, the World Series of Poker and, and, and customers like that. And, and, you know, they obviously experienced quite a lot of demand because people had time to gamble. And, you know, I've had a quite a long career in, in the gaming industry, you know, reaching back almost 25 years from Europe, where I was involved in, you know, first data's gambling business in Europe. And then I moved to the U.S. The reason I moved to the U.S. was the changes in the uh, Dodd-Frank regulation here to uh, legalize uh, online gambling, I, I set up the online gambling team in First Data and was part of the, you know, the early transactions of FanDuel and DraftKings. And uh, I also sat on the board of Telecheck, where we, you know, really looked at ACH as a payment mechanism for gaming. So gaming itself also grew during the pandemic. And then you had traditional e-commerce where people just shopped at home. We had a complete new experience of people online. And uh, part of, you know, our growth story was, you know, adopting to that change and being part of that growth. What would you say differentiates your company from your competitors out there? I think, you know, a lot of our differentiation is based upon how we personalize the customer journey. You know, we're very much around customer first. We're very much around the customer experience and also the partner experience. You know, we've driven a lot of vertical expertise around particular verticals. As I've mentioned, we have a blend between traditional verticals where financial services, we work with, you know, hospitality. We've got a very large partner like Guestline where we're, you know, we're evolved in the transition of hospitality. And we can also modify and, and adopt our teams and change how we work quite quickly. I feel a lot of other industry players may have a lot of historical tech, you know, historical processes and, you know, we've been able to earn the right for business through, you know, being able to adopt to industry changes in the market, you know, market dynamics like COVID and the impact of these changes, like the leap in digitization, 
the leap in demand for digital commerce. And we run customized merchant acceptance policies. We've, we fully digitize the onboarding experience for both the merchant and the partner where we, you know, we'll collect a lot of data as we go through the sign up process where, you know, it's, it's not a manual process. We want to react quickly with, with experienced account management, relationship management teams. And in addition to that, you know, drive uh, differentiation through product. We've been very selective in our acquisitions, and we believe that we've extended the value chain from payments, particularly around the store acquisition on the shopping experience. We've also recently announced an acquisition called Wonderlane in the UK, which brings us into more of an EPOS environment where we can add more value on the EPOS side. We have some very interesting products. One, for example, on the traditional retail market would be inventory management. We have a cloud-based stock-taking app. And I think there's a lot of things we can bring where we feel that, you know, payments is, is in our DNA. Payments is the base of the DNA. But we're building value around the DNA on, you know, selective diversification into key areas, extending the, the uh, e-commerce payment into a shopping cart experience extending the point of sale epos experience into a value added service experience extending our acquiring and payment processing into new regions and driving the partner experience in particular into new regions we feel we are a gateway for us based isos and agents to enter europe with a very personalized service and the flip chart of that for our team in the us we're also an entry into the us market for over 20,000 merchants in Europe and, and over, you know, 225 partners in, your, in Europe who are looking for an entry point into the U.S. as well. Where do you see payments heading in the next, say, two to three years? I think that's a great question. You know, I, payments has come from being just a very kind of stagnant market. You look at the investments pre-COVID into payments, it's astronomical, where I think the investment market woke up to the beauty of reoccurring payments, the beauty of the last mile solution. And with all this investment in this industry, it's developed some unicorns. It's developed some accelerated fintech companies like Trust Payments. And we've really, you know, brought in change to BAU in, in the payment ecosystem. Where I think it's going, you know, it's all digital, you know, and I, I think that the involvement of the digital economy the involvement and, and I think the train has left the station for digital currency, how they merge together is, is going to be very exciting. In the UK, we're part of what's called a Kickstarter scheme. And this is where we hire young people out of college with no experience and we put them into teams to listen to those young people every day and, and how they view digital commerce. And, you know, I, I presented a check to a very young person in the UK and I explained how we used to use a check to write a check and, <laughs> and you know, we had to sign it and then give it to somebody and go to a bank and they were like, well, why can't you just send them a coin? <laughs> and it's amazing to think of, you know, how we view payments and how, how the younger generation are viewing digital commerce will definitely lead a lot of change. I think from a services point of view, you know, as the world becomes less boundaries again, we have to adopt to those changes. And I think, you know, it's all digital. The phone plays a huge role. What will we do about, you know, biometrics 
artificial intelligence. But I think one of the key things we're learning at the moment is the power of data, the power of intelligence in the data. What can we tell our customer? What can we tell our partner about, you know, what's only happening in their business today, but what's the patterns What can they learn about behavior of their customer? We all work around seasonal change in the payments industry, but I really feel that, you know, over time, you know, the power of what we consume in data with the customer or with the partner will really be driving how we drive our business going forward. Yeah, I I think as an industry, we've talked about data for a long time. Do you feel like we're at a point where, businesses can really start gaining some intelligence and insights out of it that are that are actionable insights. I mean, I go back in my career 10, 15 years ago, we thought we had great data and we tried to get, you know, merchants now, albeit small business merchants, to try to understand the data. And it was always a challenge to get them to even open a statement or open a reporting tool. But do you think times have changed to where that data is so impactful now that that merchants will do that? I think technology has made it easier. So, you know, we now have the, the basis of data lakes where we can segment data a lot better. Years ago, you know, we were blessed with SQL databases and application servers and Oracle databases, and we were just running report after report after report. I think now with the likes of data lakes and, and the likes of technology, which has come out of that area, I really feel it's going to make it easier to extract knowledge. I think years ago, we had too much data. And in fact, I worked with First Data, who had lots of data. And I was part of that, you know, area where we tried to segment, say, for example, all the star data, the debit network in the US. And, you know, there was probably too much data because we didn't really have the artificial intelligence or fuzzy logic to segment the data properly. I think now we're getting there. As human beings, we're not really built to do that, you know. We're built to be in caves and running around, you know, in, uh, as cavemen, you know, our brains, but obviously data, you know, is a lot to consume. So I really think technology will get us there over the next two to three years to extract that differentiation. Okay. Okay. I don't disagree with you. I think it, it's a different day and age. So I think there are definitely some changes in that space that make a difference. I did want to dive into cryptocurrency a little bit because I know you brought it up and I like to ask, you know, leaders and payments companies and fintech companies, kind of their their view. And obviously, I think we all agree that crypto for your everyday spend is not quite there yet. But certainly from an investment perspective, it's there and it's been there. But there are companies who are, you know, it's been in the news accepting different types of cryptocurrencies. Just kind of interested in your kind of opinion of where we are today, where we're heading, and and how do payments companies like Trust Payments play in that space? Sure. I think we both agree that the train has left the station on crypto. And I think, you know, the pandemic kind of helped that where people looked at alternatives. And from a regulatory standpoint, it's also very interesting. If you look at the landscape in Europe, you look at the landscape in Asia, what's happening in Asia, trying to make a currency legal tender. You go across Europe, you know, particularly Eastern Europe, like the likes of Estonia has a very large presence, Poland and obviously the UK. We've actually been involved in the advisory board for stablecoin with the UK government. And, and part of our role has been to, you know, kind of share an aerial view of of our experience and and how we participate in both on-ramp and off-ramp crypto. If I look at the US, 
you know, I think there's there's a lot of hope with the New York legislator. And I think they're taking some learnings from Europe into a regulatory environment for crypto. Obviously, Uncle Sam needs his piece as well. So I think taxation, they've already started on on gains, you know, as we've seen on on some crypto transactions in the US. I think that's going to be make things more complicated. But obviously, as it gets regulated, you know, I think the growth will will slow down partially from a growth point of view. But that's a good thing. I think it does need to fall into some level of of regulation. In addition to that, I think that, you know, obviously compromisation of exchanges is always a problem. You know, you had that large incident in South Africa, you know, where coins go missing and value goes missing. And I think we're all very amused by people, you know, who are trying to find their old PCs that are in, in old landfills where they've probably got a couple of coins on and they're offering people rewards to find them, you know, because the valuation of crypto and how it is today. You know, but where our role is today, we really facilitate with the exchanges. So we're a facilitator of on-ramp payments. So we'll do fiat currency conversion into crypto. And then on the back end, we'll do crypto back into fiat. And we'll provide a mechanism like Visa Direct to do that in partnership with Visa. And our role will extend into that, you know, in that we work with the likes of Chain Analysis out of New York, where we'll, from a risk management point of view, look at the wallet, you know, will try and will understand the audit trail and, you know, for money laundering, fraud prevention, see how the wallet or exchange is behaving in the market. So there's a lot of work we do on that in terms of trying to enable, you know, a regulated crypto uh, exchange or wallet to transact. And uh, we're very excited about it because we think that, you know, as the market gets into a more regulatory stance, we've learned quite early with the regulatory environment in Malta. As that had grown, we process, you know, for probably, you know, six of the top 10 exchanges in Europe. And they're very happy with us because, you know, we don't treat them like a a normal merchant. You know, in some instances, people think crypto is like, you know, a standard retail store. It's not. You know, there's very... Specific mechanisms from a monitoring point of view. There's very specific things from a you know merchant acceptance credit policy point of view, and you've got to keep on uh, you got to keep on touch with the regulatory change and the market dynamics. You know, obviously, crypto is very volatile. It leads kind of how the market reacts. We've seen it. I don't know what it is today, but you know, it's dropped into that correction zone a couple of times in the market. But you know, I, I think as as you drop below Bitcoin, you know, you look at the likes of Ethereum where I think a lot of the financial banks have kind of pegged their framework against that type of currency, which I think is a good thing. And then the likes of XRP and Ripple, I think, is a, is a very interesting play as well. In fact, we've partnered with Ripple and we're offering an alternative settlement method for merchants now where we can, we can actually settle out through crypto and we'll settle out through the Ripple network as opposed to the SWIFT network. So you can already see crypto coming into some areas where we can actually challenge some of the traditional systems. I see on the settlement side, some of these companies, particularly Ripple, maybe becoming a another option for Swift. And as their network gains strength and gets stronger, there may be a, a business case to fund money quicker. There may be less fees. And I think this is what the beauty of crypto gives us. It's an alternative it's in control. You add a blockchain to it. It's a lot stronger with a peer-to-peer relationship, you know, and, and then I suppose the bigger question is, you know, will it ever take on the the magnet of the Visa and MasterCard network? You know, I would say that that's probably a long time away because 
the acceptance of that network is immense. And the investment over the 20 odd years, 25 years, maybe 30 years is immense as well. So it's very interesting to watch crypto come into our our ecosystem. Uh, to answer your question on acceptance, I think it's more of a beauty parade at the moment. We're investing, obviously, to be ready from a point of sale point of view, having crypto available from an e-com point of view, having having crypto available. I think as we go through the buy now, pay later experience, you know, which I think will I think the shine will come off that eventually. If you look at the losses these companies have to absorb. I think over time, crypto may become the next, I like to use the term shiny ball, which we'll all kind of look at and go, you know, is this another form factor we should all put on our badge, on our payment page, you know, use on our virtual terminal, use on our point of sale device, you know, Square have looked at it, PayPal have looked at it. And I I think that uh, it's going to evolve. It's going to evolve. The question is, how will it be treated from a, a rails point of view, from a regulatory point of view? But I think definitely the train has left the station and, and this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to go through that. I, I agree with what you're saying and it sounds like you guys are staying on top of it. Well, if you don't mind, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So tell us about your journey to your role there as the Group Chief Commercial Officer and CEO of Trust Payments US. Sure. Look, 30 years in the business. I think I was employee number seven in Elevon. So I go right back to Bank of Ireland and Nova, which was called EuroConnect Technologies. And, and, and that was an amazing uh, experience. I, I was involved in a building of a gateway, probably 1997, 1998, called ClickPay in Ireland. And from there, I set up their e-com division. You know, we were one of the first kind of cross-border acquirers for the likes of Bibbit. Net Gyro. I had all those guys in the door as startups, which became the major PSPs in Europe. And that was an amazing experience to really watch digital commerce take off. In addition to that, we also were involved in, in dynamic currency conversion in Spain. And at a very early stage, I really began to appreciate the power of a cross-border transaction, but also the power of digital commerce. From there, I moved to, uh, to the UK and worked for First Data, where I was head of e-commerce for Europe. And I, I uh, created the internet payment gateway called IPG, which is now uh, their flagship e-com product in Europe. I also set up FDMS, which is the acquiring business in the UK, and was part of some of the other acquisitions, BNLP in Italy, and some of the uh, business in Ireland. That was an amazing experience, but I always wanted to be, you know, be part of the, uh, the bigger system and, and learn from a geographical perspective, you know, be exposed to uh, other areas. And I was very blessed through uh, a mentor of mine, Ed Labrie, who asked me to come over to the U.S. and work with First Data out of Atlanta, Georgia, where I established the emerging markets for the company. And as I mentioned earlier, set up the gaming division, changed Telecheck from a check provider into an ACH check cashing solution provider for all the casinos through multiple partners like NRT and Every. And uh, I also was then ran their travel division and about, you know, eight to 10 verticals around that. So from there, you know, I could see what was happening in the in the crypto world. I could see what was happening in the, in the change. And I was really interested in that. So Trust Payments had a location in Malta. And that was the first place that kind of brought up a lot of the regulatory things. So my interest kind of drove there. I went to Malta 
I went to a gaming and crypto convention in St. Julian's. I'd never seen something like that before where people were walking around with a checkbook and they were buying people's laptops who had code on it for a blockchain or they'd built a, the basis of a coin design, either asset-backed or digital. And I was like, you know, something really special is going to happen here with this industry. And I really felt that was the time for me to, you know, I love a challenge. I had a mentor in Fiserv or First Data called Joe Plumeri. And Joe Plumeri taught me a term called swagger. And swagger means north of confident and south of arrogant. And uh, I wanted to bring some swagger to crypto. I wanted to bring some swagger to, to payments. And I felt that was the time for me to, uh, to do that. So I, I, I joined Trust Payments under the uh, founder, Cobus Paulson. And uh, we went on a journey of amazing transformation. Daniel Holden then became the CEO. And our transformation started from there. And uh, it's been an amazing journey to earn the right for business in traditional verticals, growing our hospitality, growing our financial services, growing our retail, and then looking at our emerging market growth around crypto, gaming, CBD, and, and areas like that. So a career payments guy. Absolutely. Who loves, <laughs> who loves to be challenged. And, you know, I've mentioned working with younger people, having 20-year-olds or 18-year-olds telling you, the future of payments is absolutely fascinating. You know, as we, I suppose, I don't know what we are with the Pepsi generation, you know, <laughs> we kind of have to kind of adopt, but I, you know, I'm blessed with some great mentors in my life. As I mentioned, Ed Labrie, Joe Pomeri, Obi Rawls, Chris Foskett, Joe Profeta, you know, industry people who have also given me some great knowledge. And I really feel now, you know, my career is, is passing that back to some great talent I have now in trust payments. And, uh, you know, that's how we win. We have great passion to win and we're full of swagger. Yeah, I think that's a, a great segue into the next question. So what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe maybe one personal passion and one professional passion. Okay, well, my personal passion is music. I'm a drummer. I play the drums and I, it's one of my exits out of my uh, payment processing and my payment brain. And it's a great sense of relief. And it's great to use the other side of your brain now and again. So I'd say that's kind of my personal passion. Obviously, my family as well is, is a big thing. But for me personally, music is very special to me. From a, a work point of view, there's two passions to get me out of bed every morning. One is my people and my team. You know, I've got a great collection of motivated individuals who want to win. And secondly, it's the passion for sales. You know, it's to get up. It's to be competitive. I'm still as competitive now as I was when I was in my 20s. I like to win. I don't like to lose customers. I don't like to lose deals. And our growth is based around, you know, driving that commercial passion and swagger through the organization. We drive a one trust culture. We drive a one win culture. And uh, under Daniel's leadership, I think we've achieved that. I think that it'll be interesting to hear your answer to this because you've already talked about these 18 to 20-year-olds. And you even mentioned this earlier about our industry and how much investment has been in it lately and fintech and payments. It's a sexy, hot place to work. And kids are coming out of college now and they look at this industry as you know a potential career opportunity, right? I'm going to get a job in this space and learn and grow in this space. What would your advice be to someone coming right out of college? What would you tell them they need to do to be successful in our industry? I think that's a great question. I'll answer it two ways. I'll answer it from my lens. If I was 18 again, 
what I would have done if I could go back. I'd love to be 18 again. And I also answered from what I've seen with the Kickstarter group. I think if I was 18 again, I would just be so excited about the change. Whereas years ago, payments was just payments. You know, you just had to pay, you use your credit card and that's it. Whereas now, I think a young person has to come in eyes wide open and be prepared for, you know, it's a roller coaster ride, I think, the next two years. Once we get out of the post pandemics, you know, everything kind of gets back to normal. All these investments coming through will drive so much disruption, I think. And a lot of these startups have had a year to kind of get everything right inside their company because the world has stopped. Whereas before, a startup would be against the 90-day cycle with an investor to start producing revenue and, you know, maybe they lose some of their innovation. So I really feel as a young person, be excited, pick a disruptor. You're young, you know, as you get older, your expenses grow, you got to get a mortgage, you got to get, you know, if you have kids and a family, your ability to to take more risk on goes down. But when you're out of college, okay, you may have some college debt you need to pay off. But my advice would be go with a disruptor, learn as much as you can, hold on tight because it's it's going to be a white knuckle roller coaster ride. Okay. And you said you had some thoughts from a, the Kickstarter perspective. Yeah. So what I've learned from the Kickstarters is that, you know, when they come into a job, they question everything, which is amazing. You know, whereas I think in my generation, I I would certainly would not have come in and, and questioned senior people because, you know, I would have felt, I suppose, in 30 years ago, I'll quote Mr. Bounderby from Hard Times, you know, imagination is only a mere word for fact and fact alone. You know, you were told the facts and you kind of had to run by that. Whereas these group of kids that come in now, They've no problem walking into your office and saying, I really think what you're doing is wrong here. Now, they may not be right, but I think I would still encourage the, the younger people to, you know, don't always be, you know, saying everything is wrong, but, you know, never crush your imagination. And I've learned that and I encourage that. I, I let people say their piece and encourage them to question the norm because it actually makes you a better person and, and it may actually help your processes. We've learned a lot and we've, We've adopted some of our processes through feedback from Kickstarters, and they've never been in payments, and that's been amazing. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good advice, and I agree with you. I think it's a a different mentality that the kids have these days to question things, whereas when we got our first job, it was more like you were scared to question things, right? You, You basically did what you were told, but times have definitely changed. I agree. It was very utilitarian in those days, but, you know, that was the culture of the time, you know, and I think yeah. now things have changed and I think for the better. And I think people need to embrace that. And particularly our, you know, the senior management, anybody who else is listening to this podcast, I'd encourage you guys to let people challenge you because I've certainly learned from that over the last three years working with these Kickstarters. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting program that you guys have going on there. But Jonathan, we've covered a lot of ground about you and your journey and the company and what Trust Payments is doing and your view on the future of payments. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? I think I'm great. I would I would like to thank you for the time for me to uh, tell you a little bit about myself and also about Trust Payments. You know, I think we all work in an amazing industry. I'm in my 50s now, but God, I wish I was 20 to see what's going to happen in this industry over the next 10 years. I think the level of change and the pace of change is immense. And I think we all should be uh, 
We all should be thankful that, you know, we can work in an industry that's very resilient. The likes of COVID did wipe out some industries, you know, but we're blessed to be working in an area where people have to pay. And uh, the appetite for digitization has leaped so quickly. I think we're all in a great position to embrace that. And if we all, you know, listen to our clients, listen to our partners, this area will grow and continue to grow. and, And I'm excited for everybody who works in this industry. Yeah, what's the best way for people to learn more about Trust Payments? I would go to our website, www.trustpayments.com. We also have a YouTube channel. And if you'd like to follow us on LinkedIn as well, we're quite active on LinkedIn. Okay, and what about the easiest way to reach you? You can get me on LinkedIn, Jonathan O'Connor, or my email is Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot O'Connor, O-C-O-N-N-O-R at trustpayments.com. Great. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our time together and I know your time is very valuable. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, sir. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 